Today's reading is taken from Acts chapter 4 and its verses 24 to 37. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Morning everyone, and let's pray and ask God that he would speak to us this morning through his word. Let's pray together. Father, as we open up your scriptures now, we pray that you would speak to us clearly and help us, we pray. We pray that you would change our minds and change our hearts. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I wonder what you'd say in answer to this question. Um, Donald Trump, Boris Johnson, President Putin, uh, Xi Jinping, Jair Bolsonaro, the president of uh, Japan, and the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council in the first century. And this isn't a joke, but what do they all have in common? Well, the answer to that is that they all think or thought that they were in charge. But the reality of the case is that none of them are actually in charge because there is one at a far higher level than any of them who is really in charge. And that, of course, is our Lord God, the Sovereign Lord. And as we turn to Acts chapter 4 this morning, uh, we are going to be seeing that there is a God who is in charge of this universe. No matter what happens, no matter what the world goes through, we see that there is a Sovereign Lord. The first Christians believed that, 
And we believe that still. Uh, in the midst of COVID-19, and as we're gradually coming out of lockdown now, we still believe clearly, definitely, that there is a sovereign Lord. And so this morning, I simply want to say this. Um, uh, God is sovereign, so speak and share. God is sovereign, so speak and share. In fact, when the first Christians uh, got together and they prayed here in verse uh, 24, they, they begin by saying to God, Sovereign Lord, Sovereign Lord. And that word sovereign actually is, tr- is the, the translation of the word which means despot. That means an ultimate ruler. Uh, now, despot has, a, has negative connotations for us, doesn't it? But, but actually it just means a, 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 a sovereign ruler. And in our case, with our sovereign God, we know through his revelation in Jesus that he is wonderfully kind and wonderfully loving, and our sovereign ruler. So this morning, God is sovereign, so speak and share. God is sovereign, so speak and share. Now the situation at the end of Acts chapter 4 is that there's been a miraculous healing in chapter 3, and uh, and the preaching of the gospel there. And then Peter and John were hauled up before the Sanhedrin to uh, the Jewish ruling council to um, explain themselves. And uh, that's what they do in, in verse 18 of, the, <coughs> of this chapter. And then uh, they are, well, they're told, aren't they? They're told by the, uh, by, the ru- by the ruling council. They call them in again and, and commanded in verse 18 not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And then after further threats, uh, they were let go and they come back to their own people. And we see here what is what happens when they heard this. Verse 24, this is uh, this is all the Christians together. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said as they began their prayer, their natural reaction as God's people when they heard some some news uh, about what had happened. And when Peter and John were there uh, reporting back to them was they prayed. That was a natural and obvious thing for them to do. Now, uh, today is June the 21st, and we're right in the middle of the summer. The, uh, the summer solstice this year was actually yesterday. Uh, but at this time of, of, of the year, and at 11 a.m., because of British summertime, the sun is right up high, very, very high in the sky, and very strong. And what we see here is that God's sovereignty is as strong as the noonday sun at the end of June, around about the time of the summer solstice. God's sovereignty is clear and obvious. Uh, you go out in the sun, you will be burnt within uh, an hour or two, or whatever, unless you put sun cream on, hope you do. And, uh, but you can see here, God's sovereignty is obvious as the strong midday sun in early or late June. So the first thing I want to say is this, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. There is a God who is greater than all the ruling councils, all presidents, all prime ministers, all monarchs who have ever ruled this world. God is sovereign. And their authority, which they have, is a delegated authority. God gives them authority, but he is the one who is ultimately Lord of all. 
And uh, he demands our allegiance. And that's why we pray. That's why Christian people pray. It's in verse 24 there. It's rather like a kind of knee-jerk reaction. Of course they praise. That was the obvious thing to do, wasn't it? To pray. Um, There's hostility in the air. You can kind of almost smell it. And then there is this, uh, the new, they get this news and, uh, and, and they, of course they want to pray. This is the first time when, when Christians have been exposed to any kind of hostility. It's going to go on. It's going to grow. But right at the start here, they are a praying people. And I hope for us too, the natural thing that we will do as God's people, uh, whether there's a problem or a joy, is simply to speak to our sovereign God, uh, to praise him or to bring our needs or our concerns uh, for this world, for our friends, for our church, to him. Uh, and as they did that, what do they say? Well, it, it, you look here in these verses, uh, and they use three verbs to describe what God has done. The first one's in verse 24, you made, you made. And then in verse 25, you spoke. And then on into verse 28, you decided, you made, you spoke, you decided. There are three verbs which are a description of God's sovereignty, of God's working in his world. And so they pray to the sovereign Lord. Perfectly logical thing to do. You've got a problem. You've got a joy. If you believe that the Lord is, is sovereign, then of course you will turn to him in prayer. Of course you'll bring it to him. So if you remember just one thing this morning, please remember this. God is sovereign. He is the sovereign Lord. And this overarches this chapter, and especially the end of chapter 4 here in the book of Acts. God is the sovereign Lord. Or, or if you prefer, you could say Jesus is Lord. As we have seen, and, and that has been shown to us through his resurrection from the dead, Jesus it's Lord. In fact, that was the, if you like, the strap line of the early church. If you want a simple summary of, of the Christian faith, if you, if you want a, a kind of like a two second summary, you might say Jesus is Lord. Or if you want to uh, expand that slightly, you could say uh, uh, Jesus made us. Jesus died for us. Jesus was raised for us. Jesus now reigns for us and Jesus is coming back for us. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That is how Christians would, uh, would want to talk about and explain to others uh, about this great and wonderful fact that God is sovereign. And of course, that works out for our good. So in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, for instance, uh, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, because he is sovereign. He is a sovereign God. He rules. He's the good ruler. And he is sovereign. And let's never forget that. In times of social unrest, in times of Black Lives Matter, in times of loss of bereavement, in times of uncertainty as we face the future, in times of, as a church, we we don't know how things are going to be over the next few weeks, over the next few months. But it's fine. That's okay. Because Jesus is Lord. We have a sovereign Lord. And uh, in all our thoughts about ending the lockdown and all the rest of it, God is sovereign. Let's never, ever forget that. Second thing I want to say is this. Uh, God is sovereign, so speak. God is sovereign, so speak. Times 
of increasing hostility. And they have been commanded, the early Christians have been commanded to uh, keep your mouths shut. So what would you pray for in that situation? What would I pray for in that situation? I think I'd pray, Lord, um, uh, please help me to be careful over what I say. Please help me to be uh, uh, sensibly restrained over my witnessing to other people. Uh, I, you know, I don't want to get into trouble. Well, <laughs> that's almost the precise opposite of what the early Christians prayed. And, and I mean, that's all a bit pathetic, really, isn't it? Um, what the early Christians pray for? Well, have a look at verse 29 here. Now, Lord, consider their threats. In other words, take them into account, is what they're saying. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. With great boldness. Uh, God is sovereign, so speak. And he answered amazingly. Uh, they went on as well in verse 30. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders to, to accredit the message of the apostles and then the, the early church and the early Christians preaching this good news as well. And then in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. I thought it was a bit like uh, showing God's presence in Isaiah chapter 6 when he was called or in Matthew 27 at Jesus' crucifixion when there was an earthquake in, in Jerusalem. And uh, uh, showing God's presence and God's power. So uh, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And guess what they did? They spoke the word of God boldly. It's a great example, isn't it? It's a great challenge. Kind of a bit embarrassing in some ways, isn't it? When you compare their boldness with our reticence in, in so many times to speak of Jesus. Maybe the people we know perfectly well, yet somehow we just hang back. No, God is sovereign. So speak. We want to speak. And uh, he can and he will look after us in the end. I mean, what can he do to us? And it, it, it happened. They were going out. So, well, the next section in, in, uh, in just a moment. But the church, as they ch- church shared everything they had, but that last section here is a bit like a, a bit like a sandwich from verses 32 to the end of the chapter but we see there in verse 33 with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the lord jesus they've been told to keep their mouths shut and they continued to testify they weren't going to be stopped no god is sovereign so they spoke and that's what we want to do as well uh, you may have heard of uh, a little many years ago now there was a guy called charles peace and he was a, a convicted murderer and he had been sentenced to be hanged. And as, as he was going through with the chaplain uh, to the place of execution, the chaplain had been speaking to him a little about Jesus. And Charles P. stopped and he turned and he looked at the chaplain in the eye and he said to him, If I believed that, I would crawl across England on broken glass to tell people about it. Now, that's a challenge, isn't it? There's a man who didn't believe, but he knew how significant it was in the last minutes of his life. He knew how significant and how how extraordinary this gospel news of Jesus' death for us. That's a challenge to us, isn't it? Uh, You may have uh, have heard the the trite nonsense, uh, proclaim the gospel, and if you have to, use words. That is just rubbish, I'm afraid. Um, it's accredited to Francis of Assisi. Actually, he didn't say that. Uh, it wasn't him who came up with it in the first place. But many people love to smugly repeat it um, as some kind of excuse for not saying anything. 
And uh, uh, that's tragic. Look, the gospel is news. Okay, that's what it means. Gospel means good news. Not just news, but good news. Great news. And when you have news, you speak it, don't you? That's what we do. You know, when you land a dream job, you want to tell someone about it. When you uh, have got great A-level results, you want to tell someone about it. If you're, uh, um, uh, I don't know, you've you've had a baby, you want to tell someone about it. You've got news and you want to. And you don't just sit there quietly, assuming that somehow there's great news that you've had about your job, your A-levels, your baby, whatever it is, that somehow people are going to understand what's happened. No, you speak. You tell people about it. You know, uh, let's just proclaim the, proclaim the news and if you have to new, use words. We don't do that in normal everyday life, so why on earth should we do it when we get to the gospel? No, of course we don't. You know, uh, uh, we never say anything like, I mean, it, it's a nonsense, isn't it? So tell people your surgery was, uh, was successful, and if you have to use words. <laughs> it's just ludicrous. Um, tell people about your A-level results, and if you have to use words. It's just a nonsense. It just doesn't make sense. The gospel is good news and we announce it with words. We tell people. We speak. That's what we've got to do. So we want to take the opportunities of COVID. We want to take the opportunities of the easing of lockdown and pe- perhaps people not being really very sure about uh, uh, about going out or going to meetings or going shopping or whatever it is. Um, uh, we want to take the opportunities to speak to friends, to family, to those we come across. Term of Jesus. God is sovereign, so speak. And the third thing is this. God is sovereign, so speak, and share. And share. Now, what's going on in verses 32 to 37 here is quite extraordinary. And especially for a a church of very young Christians, baby Christians. And, uh, you know, I think it links on from God's sovereignty. Because they all knew that God was sovereign. They all knew that they, therefore, weren't lord over their own stuff any longer. They weren't lord over their own possessions any longer. Uh, They saw the link between God's sovereignty and the things that they, quote, possessed. Now, not all of them got it. We're going to see a lovely example at the end here about Joseph, who's nicknamed Barnabas. But also in the next chapter, we see next week, we're going to see about Ananias and Sapphira. And they didn't get it. But when you realise that God is sovereign, when you realise that, it has a huge impact on your view of your possessions. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. As in, full stop, Jesus is Lord. It means Jesus is Lord over me and Jesus is Lord over all I possess, all that I have, means my life is not going to be spent accumulating stuff. It means I'm not going to be uh, uh, spend my life desperately saving up uh, uh, for uh, I don't know the, the, the next huge wonderful invention that comes out in, te- in terms of technology or TV or whatever it w- whatever it will be. Um, uh, it, it means I'm not going to be uh, uh, desperately hoping for. Uh, whatever the, the the next thing would be, like the next iPhone queuing outside the Apple shop kind of thing at six in the morning. It's not so important anymore. Really, it's not so important anymore. There's a Chinese proverb which says this, to pretend to satisfy, start again, to pretend to satisfy one's desires by possessions is like using straw to put out a fire. And we know that, don't we? 
we know that. We, we, we understand that. We probably experience that. So God is sovereign over, over everything. How is it going to work out for those early Christians um, as this hostility uh, against them began to bubble up to the surface? Well, look at verse 32. They were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Extraordinary. I mean, Christianity is not like playing tennis, where you're just playing for yourself. Christianity is much more a team sport, whatever team, basketball, hockey, foot, uh, football, whatever. And, uh, uh, and we need to be united. And it says here, all the believers were one in heart and mind. And now we've seen the apostles were testifying uh, in verse 33 there, but then also see what happened. Uh, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all, that's the end of verse 33, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and then it was and then it was distributed. They so quickly developed this light hold on their possessions, didn't they? Uh, they very quickly saw that God is sovereign, Jesus is Lord, even over the things that they considered their own. Their attitudes changed. Their hearts and their minds changed. Charles Spurgeon, Baptist preacher, Victorian times, said this, nothing influences a man or a woman so much uh, as that which he or she calls his or her own. They really influence us, don't they? Our possessions. And these early Christians, they had changed attitudes to what they to what they owned. They weren't possessive about those things anymore. So uh, take, for instance, something that's very precious to you. An Englishman's home is his castle. What about your home? Or your car? Or your phone? Or your clothes? Whatever. Do you? Uh, maybe you don't have a mortgage anymore and you can, you know, in a great time, a moment of relief, say, so I now own my home when that final mortgage payment is paid. Or your car, maybe that's paid off, and you say, I actually own my car. Uh, or your phone, maybe you put out a contract, and you can say, I own my phone. Or does your house, your car, your phone own you? Which way round is it? And how does it work out in practice? If we're going to change that, and how does it work out in practice in terms of our generosity to other people? The end result for the early church there is there were no needy people among them, in verse 34. And they acted incredibly generously. Uh, what they did in selling stuff they had and then it getting redistributed, it was sporadic. It wasn't happening all the time. Um, they still remained private ownership. And it was according to needs. So when people had needs, those needs were met. And then they gave stuff to the apostles and then the apostles distributed. So there was a, a separation of the giving and the distribution. That was wise and a sensible way of that going about. As Calvin wrote about this, love made each man's own possessions common property for those in need. And then there's that lovely example of Barnabas, a son of encouragement, doing it the right way at the end of the chapter. Is this a mistake? Some, some people, I think, misguidedly have said this was a mistake of the very early church. They got a bit over keen. I think there's no indication of that at all. Is this a model? Some people say it's a model and we must all follow that. I don't think there's an indication of that either. This is not an imperative. It's not a command. It's a lovely example. And something that we may wish to... Uh, emulate in our own lives. Uh, it could be quite a challenge, couldn't it? An encouragement for us to examine our hearts and our attitudes. 
um, uh, first to God. Is he really sovereign in our lives? And then our attitudes to our stuff, our things, the things that we own. Do you really own it? Or does it own you? And what are we going to do about these things? Do we have have a light hold on the things that we call our own? I think in some ways our hardship fund to help those in the parish in particular need uh, is 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 a great example. And it's been an enormous help to those whom we've been able to help in this way. Um, uh, you may want to, it's difficult to say, uh, you know, folk have contributed to this during these times, although uh, we obviously recognise that these times can be times of real financial hardship. And I, I know a number of us were moved to hear from Nelson last week about uh, the needs of pastors in Brazil, because uh, these are really times of significant hardship, not just uh, in the UK and not just for some folks in our own church family, but amongst those who we know about and who we hear about around the world. And Christian people want to be generous people, uh, don't we? As J.B. Phillips, the Bible translator, said about these early Christians, there was a wonderful spirit of generosity. And may that inspire us so that we may also have a wonderful spirit of generosity in our churches. God is sovereign, so speak and share.